Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, for our final In Conversation episode of 2019, you're joined, well, you're actually joined by us. Yes, we sat down with the effervescent Sarah Davidson at the Mercedes Me store in Melbourne on Tuesday night for an In Conversation with Mish and I. A big thank you first and foremost to Mercedes Me for having us. Their Melbourne store is one of 11 Mercedes Me locations worldwide, alongside other iconic cities including Munich, Hamburg, Hong Kong, Tokyo and Moscow. For Melbourne listeners, you can visit the store during the day to sit and enjoy famous hospitality from renowned partner St Ali or experience the Mercedes-Benz brand like never before in a casual and relaxed environment. By night, through their special events, Mercedes Me is a place to experience standout collaborations in art, food, sport, design, innovation, fashion and, you know, podcasts like this one. But for now, let's chat about the show. Our wonderful MC, Sarah Davidson, is of course the co-owner of Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar and the host of the Seize the Yay podcast. In this chat, she asked us about everything from what we were like as kids to the highs and lows of this year and what we most admire about each other. Just a note for this one, because it is a live recording, the audio will not be exactly the same as it usually is, but that is just part and parcel with recording in a large space. So, here's the chat. I know that the first question, and everyone in here knows that the first question, is what are you reading, watching, or listening to this week? But, twist, a new episode, as you all know, came out yesterday, and I have decided that they are not allowed to use the answers that they had yesterday. So you cannot answer with Terrace House, the Japanese subtitled Netflix original, Love Actually, or Morning Wars. Love Actually is the most boring recommendation yes. ever. Like, pretty basic bitch. Uh, I saved this. I was a nerd. I thought you might ask for this, so I saved she one. thought she might ask for this. Such guys, they gave me the questions, so... <laughs> we, uh, no, you guys gave Sarah the questions. We put the um, call out on Instagram. These are from you. I recommend you guys read Where the Crawdads Sing. I will admit I had no idea what a crawdad was before reading this book. Apparently it's a bird. But it's a wonderful, wonderful read. It follows the life of a girl who grows up basically without a family and she lives in a house by herself from the age of six, which sounds pretty unrealistic, but it's set in the 50s and 60s and this girl is so isolated and lonely and it looks at what happens to a person when that loneliness does permeate their life and I don't know why, but I feel like loneliness is such a topic that I've gravitated towards this year And this book is such a glorious and delightful read. As a writer, when I read a book, I often look at how other people write. And (laughs) this book, which is written by Delia Owens, is just so wonderfully written and so lyrical and poetic. There's actual poems throughout it as well that... I could not recommend it highly enough. It's but it took t- you a while to get into it. It did. It you were complaining me- at the start. She's a fraud. It took me a hundred. It took me a hundred pages, which I know is a long time, but I guarantee about a hundred and thirty pages in, you'll be like, I get it. <laughs> it was the romantic love story that came in. Like a boy comes in around one hundred and ten pages. They're like a boy's here. I'm, oh, I'm feminism. Ready. <laughs> feminism. Yeah. I feel like that's a really highly intellectual jump from love actually to <laughs> and the mine's not getting words. any better. <laughs> I was just about to recommend a moody Christmas. Has any I don't know if anyone's seen that. But I Michelle also thinks that she gave this recommendation to me, but she didn't. I watched this like six years ago but haven't watched it since. It's a really old ABC special about Christmas. It's very, very funny. I haven't laughed like this in a long time. It's six parts, half an hour episodes. 
Would you add anything to that recommendation? It's just like, I don't mean to shit all over Australian dramas, but they're very often terrible. This one is amazing. Like, it's very intelligently written, very witty. And if you have siblings or a bit of a fucked up family, which I don't, but, like, if you do, I'm sure you'll love it. My, some of my family are here. No, don't leave. But it's very, very relatable, very funny and smart. You can get it on iTunes. Thank you for that. <laughs> Amazing. Did my research. Good girl. I mean, tell us what you really think about Australian <laughs> drama. <laughs> and the next question, as always, what were you guys like as kids? And I had the absolute privilege of interviewing these two, not quite a year ago, but just after they interviewed me for the first time. April will be our anniversary. <laughs> and I learned some wonderful things about your childhoods. <laughs> not least, Zara's gladiator sandals. I Let's had go 100 back pairs. <laughs> And I used to cut them all. Cut them? I used to, like, consider myself quite a fashion designer back in the day. And so I used to just get stuff. And, like, mum can vouch this. I used to just chop it. Like, I used to chop it. I chopped Michelle's shoes last week. And I get compliments on them all the time. Like, all the time. They're my most complimented pair of shoes. And it's because Zara hacked at them with a pair of scissors. Specifically so I used to hack parts. at my gladiator sandals. So sometimes they were too high, so I just hacked them halfway. Wow. I feel like it's really innovative. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, as a kid, I was like kind of a boring one. I didn't break any rules. I don't think I ever have. I have two, three siblings, two brothers, one sister. I was just, I just mucked up the sentence. And I'm the third. So I was super close with my siblings. I, and I like, I genuinely was a pretty boring kid. I always grew up by the beach. So I love the beach. Um, Long walks. Long walks along the beach. My parents did this strange thing of always pulling us out of school and taking us in caravan road trips, which is probably why now I'm, like, the least outdoorsy person ever because I think they just, like, slapped it out of me as a kid because we did everything. I just think it's such an interesting way to describe your childhood. Like, law-abiding or rule-abiding is not generally the word that one thinks of straight away you know you think of either being creative or a bit silly or naughty or like you know a dancer or whatever but law abiding you are the first person who has ever described themselves to me that way I was such a boring kid I don't know what mum did but me and my sister in particular have never broken a rule in our lives like we were terrified of being like the naughty kid at school it used to give me anxiety just the thought of getting a detention and you were school captain as well yeah see boring dorky (laughs) what were you studious you know yeah I, I, I spent all my time studying there was nothing particularly interesting. Well, you, you've got to bring something else. Uh, I had a really idyllic childhood. I loved my childhood. I grew up with three siblings. I know how many siblings I have. And, yeah, two sisters who to this day are my absolute best friends. But growing up, it was very much defined by sport, to be honest. I know that I talk a lot about how much I love AFL, but for the bulk of my childhood, I was fanatical. And I mean that, like fanatical with a capital F about netball. And I played it, I coached it, I umpired it. And I think for so many years that was where I channeled so much of my energy. And it wasn't until I got to the age of about 19, 20 and I started realising that there were other things out there like alcohol. Boys. Yeah, and I I probably realised... Boys, feminism. (laughs) I probably realised I wasn't going to make it. Like I was playing semi-professionally and I had made a few state teams and stuff like that, but I think it got to the stage of being about 20 and realising that... Some of my friends, like Joanna Weston, who we had on the podcast, who has played for not only the Vixens but the Australian Diamonds, people like her were starting to really make it. And I kind of found myself at 20 going like, this has been my passion for the bulk of my life and I'm not good enough at it to do anything with it. 
So it was probably around the age of like 20 that I started really focusing on writing and the media and that became my passion. I think I'm very much a person where I'm very invested in something. I'm 100% or nothing, which don't worry, Mitch, it's fine. <laughs> I'm very much 100% or nothing. And it was 100% or nothing with netball and I think I do that with different spheres of life and that very much became the media after netball proved to not be my calling. And you actually did have a very successful blog before The Shameless Journey. I mean, That was getting numbers that were quite extraordinary that you didn't even know were extraordinary at the time. It depends on what you define as very successful. I mean, I had a few viral posts about, like, avocado and dating. I think you'll find it was why dating is so much like eating an avocado. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. That was read by, like, 800,000 people. And at the time, I was like, that seems like a fair amount of people. And then I got to Mamma Mia!, and I saw how many readers they were getting a day. And I was like, oh, fuck. Maybe my article about avocados really <laughs> like struck a chord with people. I mean, I would click on that. I want to know the answer. Why, how are yeah, they I'll like each and, other? I did delete all my blog posts. They're quite embarrassing um, looking back. Some Which of I stuff. I basically think... wrote about dating for two oh. years in a row. So that really did become my passion and very quickly moved on to Mamma Mia and then to Shameless. And so Mamma Mia is where this love story began. But both of you actually, interestingly, and one of the things I talk about on CZA all the time is that often where you gravitate when you're a child is where you end up coming back to, even after a few diversions. But the both of you were quite creative. Zara, even being as studious as you were, you were making family newspapers, family post boxes. And- oh, my God. You, did you go back and listen to that episode? Absolutely, I did. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, no, I did always write as a kid. Like, that was the thing that always, and I think it's still the same, that has been the thing that's always kept me sane, just making sense of my own thoughts and putting them down on paper wherever that might be and interestingly like I wasn't a journaly kid I just wrote things down um and so when we got to Mamma Mia and I think when we both went through uni we both wanted to write we just kind of went about it in different ways I went and studied journalism because I thought maybe this is the easiest avenue to write I used to read feature stories in magazines every weekend as a teenager and as a kid and used to be obsessed with the writing like I used to be obsessed with like the observations of the journalist of how they would write about the person from their perspective from like how what time they turned up or what how big of a crew they turned up with I just found that stuff fascinating and so when we got to Mamma Mia and we both wanted to write, we realised sort of a year or two in that there's not much longevity in being a writer and there's no jobs around and then a lot of crises happened. Yeah, it turned out our year 12 careers advisors were like spot on. Bang on. You how know rude. how they tell you? They're like, yeah, that's not a job. You're like, I'll be fine. And then we got to it and we're like, we're not fine. Fuck. So what kind of made you two, I mean, imagine in somewhere like Mamma Mia, there are a lot of people who have similar talents and interests and inclinations as you guys, but what made you find each other? You didn't know each other before, right? This no. was the first place. And, and what made you go, I could spend 24-7 for the next two years with this person? It was a slow burn. No. The great it love really, stories are. It really Do was a slow burn. Uh, it wasn't until we were sitting at our desks one day and Zara and I had kind of brewed this friendship up slowly over time we were working a lot on weekends together and we were kind of thrown in the deep end you give two 21 year olds an entire website to run and they're probably going to bond over how fucking terrifying that is and we had spent a lot of Saturdays in the office and spent a lot of time together and I don't know we just kind of had this bond like I remember at a Christmas party we went to Christmas drinks and one of the girls looked over at us she's like are you guys like hanging out outside of work like, no. But she's like, you guys seem like friends. We're like, are we? <laughs> is this what this is? <laughs> but, yeah, we... It, the 
idea of Shameless or the idea of doing a podcast together rather came about because we were sitting at our desks one day and we were debating, it might have been Richie Strawn about I thought he wasn't that bad, which on reflection I disagree with. Zara thought he was the worst bachelor ever and we were having a very heated debate about the worst bachelor and what makes a bachelor terrible. And I think it was Mons, who was Monique Bowley, the head of podcast at Mamma Mia at the time, she popped her head above the little partition and was like, this, let's get this in a podcast studio. And of course, like 100%, we jumped at the opportunity because we were young and we were terrified of losing our jobs and we were desperate for any opportunity to make ourselves more hireable and to add something to our CV. So we set up a little pilot episode of Batch Chat, which was the Bachelor Recap podcast. I think it was 10 minutes or 15 minutes a week. And Zara and I went to a cafe and wrote out full scripts as to what we were going to say. And we were like, this joke, put that in here and say this here and let's really impress her with our wit about The Bachelor. Guys, I can assure you that's also what they did backstage just now. (laughs) (laughs) You traitor. (laughs) So, yeah, we did the pilot and it's terrible and yes all those things are still online and no please don't go and listen to them but I think there's probably about 25 episodes of batch chat that we did together and after a while of sitting in a studio and after we worked through the fear which comes when you sit behind a microphone we thought we really enjoy this we're not very good at it but we love it I think the other thing that was we were drawn to each other is there are a couple of things at Mamma Mia in particular we were like two of the youngest people in the office and we're both pretty obnoxious and loud in our opinions so we would always just yell at each other across the office about our opinions and then the other thing that I've often thought about since is I feel like we often think very similarly about things but we don't often feel the same and I know that sounds like an oxymoron but I think we have similar ideas about what we find interesting, but we might have differing opinions on what that story might mean or something like that. And I think that's worked really, really well when it came to Shameless because we rarely... I think the reason that we decided to start Shameless is we rarely had conversations in the office about things we agreed at. Like, we're not sitting there being like, oh, my God, that was an amazing opinion. (laughs) We're like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, And I think we really liked that. And then I think we... Because we were on such odd shifts together and we felt isolated from the mainstream news cycle, even though we were the mainstream news cycle, I I can remember us just saying to each other, like, there has to be something else out there. And it wasn't like, hey, there has to be something else out there. Let's make it. I was just like, someone's going to make it. Like, someone has to be like a teen vogue of Australia. Someone has to treat women like they're smarter than how they're currently being treated. And I think when it came back and forth to us brainstorming a podcast just purely for our resumes, we had one idea. Do you actually remember the idea of us being agony aunts? Yes. (laughs) Even though we know nothing about anything? 23-year-old agony aunts. (laughs) It's like the most arrogant concept I've ever heard. (laughs) And then we thought, no, we love celebrity, but we love celebrity in a way that's not stupid, and therefore Shameless was born. And... We were always surprised. Like, when the idea was rejected, we were so surprised because a lot of how Zara and I go about content is making content that we think we'd enjoy and that our sisters or our friends would enjoy. And I think that's worked so far. So when the idea for Shameless was turned down, we kind of sat there and were like, how? Like, it was actually baffling. I understood why you might not want us hosting, but why you wouldn't want the idea didn't make any sense. So we thought, 
we need to take this idea and make it because someone else will have it. It's not a revolutionary idea. Someone else will have it and someone else will create this podcast at a time where podcasting is just coming out into the mainstream amongst 20 to 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds. When you did realise that within the safety of the organisation that you were already in, even though you had already, you know, been able to do Batch Chat, once the idea was rejected, where did you get the fire to actually break outside of that safety, especially being so young, especially with podcasting being so young and knowing how hard it had been to get the jobs that you wanted and how much people had told you it was not going to work. You know, you guys had good jobs. Mamma Mia is a really well-respected media agency. What helped you find the direction and the courage to now do what obviously has turned out so well? I think there's a couple of things. I think people give us too much credit in assuming we made this great leap because I think if you're saying that, um, you're making the assumption that we had a lot of choice to make a leap. Like, to be honest, we really didn't feel like we did. Um, We had this podcast, we had a job, it became a huge conflict of interest. Like, I don't think you can deny that. And we thought, well, we're 23 at the time, we have no dependents, and we're really naive. Like, I think naivety is the thing you come back to all the time. We had no idea how oversaturated the podcast market was about to become. We had no idea how stupidly difficult it was going to be independent. We had no fucking idea how to run a business, but we didn't know any of that. We just liked writing and we liked content and we thought it was enough. It wasn't, to be honest. But at the start, that was it. So I think there is this element of being like, oh, it's so brave to make a jump, but I really do think it implies choice. And I I didn't feel like we had a whole freedom of choice. I thought it's kind of nice that we've been backed into a corner now because we can really back the thing we like. Yeah, we were kind of nudged off the edge. So, yeah, we leapt, but we had a bit of force behind us telling us to do so. So it was great. I think one element of this, which I'd really encourage anyone who wants to leave their job and go freelance or start a business would be, and I haven't discussed this very much before, but obviously when we did She's on the Money season one, we clearly have a real passion with women and money. And I'm really glad that for the two years before I left Mamma Mia, I'd been saving diligently. I didn't have a huge amount of money, but I had a backing to me that it allowed me to go freelance without stressing about making my rent. And I think that's huge. I think we often talk about women going into self-employment or starting businesses, but actually having the financial backing to do so is hugely important. Like, it probably allowed me to invest so much into this business between, what would it have been, July and Feb this year, where I could probably work almost full-time on Shameless, and then Zara could join at the beginning of this year. Yeah, I actually remember when we fir- when I first had you guys on my podcast, Zara was still full-time, so it had to be, like, after 6.30 on a weekday or on a weekend, and it's so exciting to have seen you be able to make that jump, but interesting because same thing was, you know, same thing happened with me. When I started our businesses, I stayed in my full-time job for another six to eight months because I needed capital, so it, it is a transition that you can make, you know, step by step, and setting yourself up financially can be so important to your success. But then now that you have both jumped in full-time, 24-7 with each other all of the time, how... (laughs) And you do it so well. People might think you're joking when you say 24-7 all the time, but it is essentially that. No, I mean, every story you guys ever say, you're like, oh, and then I woke up, and then I said to Zara, and I'm like, (laughs) I just turned over in the bed. (laughs) Two seconds ago, we had this conversation, I was like, "Mm, okay, good. Which bed? Whose house? <laughs> there are the boys over there. What is happening? What is the setup? Explain. It's a four-person bed. <laughs> we have actually slept in yeah. the same bed this year. We're like probably too close, <laughs> way too far. Yeah. 
So, I mean, even knowing how much time you must necessarily spend with each other, I think one of the things that is so interesting that we don't get to hear as much about is the behind the scenes of you guys, because we hear the behind the scenes of your guests, and then we hear the behind the scenes of the celebrity news cycle. But what I would be really interested to, to know about is how your friendship and partnership is different to what people would assume. And I think one of the things is that you agree most of the time, yeah. but also just that you don't, I mean, do you lose your shit on each other? Like, do you have, do you argue? Uh, what are the weird quirks? Do you finish each other's sentences? Are you a couple? How do the boys fit in? Like, do you guys get any time? <laughs> it's a polyamorous, no, I'm kidding. It's not polyamorous. Um, it's weird in that we often get DMs or we often hear secondhand that people think we aren't actually friends. Like, my sister will always come to me and be like, all these people think you and Zara don't like each other or aren't that close and put it on for the podcast. We're incredibly close. Like, we probably talk almost all day, every day. If we're not together, we've been texting about something. Uh, the way our relationship functions can best de- be described as like a sistership or sisterhood. Sistership's not a word, is it? Nope. No. As a sistership. It is now. Uh, we are very honest with each other, but I think that's great. And I love that in my relationships. And I think you need that to be in business together. If you're not speaking honestly and openly about how you actually feel, that's just going to breed resentment and kind of fester this really toxic vibe in your relationship. So I think we also treat our friendship with a lot of care. It's deeply important, not just to us, but now to Annabelle, who we employ. And it's almost like a marriage. Like we share a bank account. How many friends share a bank account with each other and make money decisions together? And yeah, it's a hugely important friendship to me. And I think we do have that very sisterly bond in that we might disagree. We don't very often at all. We might once every few months, but it's never going to damage the actual relationship itself because it's so much stronger than that. It was so interesting to me when we were at the Brisbane live show, one of the questions we got from the audience was tell each other something you don't know about each other. And I literally looked at her and I was like, there is not a thing, I don't think, that we wouldn't know about each other. Like, it is a stupidly intimate relationship. It's very unique. I don't think that there are many like it. You can have close friends, but then you can also have close partnerships with your boyfriend. But you don't have all of this, these elements combined. Um, we would disagree on something every single day. Oh, yeah. Easily. At least once, yeah. And usually the way we work around it, and it's not like an argument, it's literally like this is the decision we need to make and we both have very different ideas about how we should make that decision. Usually the way I will play it, and I'll be interested to hear what you do, is does she seem marginally more passionate about this than I do? If she does, then she's probably right. If she's willing to fight this and I really don't think that I can beat her on it, then she's probably right if her gut is telling her this so, so strongly. So it'll be the same if we're recording a podcast. If one of us turns to the other and says, that was shit, I'm re-recording the entire thing... Even if you don't agree, I usually think we would just do it because you trust the other person so much. And I think that is a huge element of this. Like, there is so much trust. Michelle could run away with all my money. All of it. Um, and so that trust is, is crucial. And I, I think we have this incredible ability to switch between, like, a professional and personal relationship within a matter of seconds. Like, we'll be talking about something about work and then we'll have, like, a conversation about something personal in the middle of it and then just flip back and it just works. 
It's quite extraordinary to be as close as you are with someone and be able to preserve both your personal and your business relationship. Like, usually one will suffer or just diminish completely and it will morph. Like you were saying, it's often only marriages that you have that. And I am actually now married to my business partner. And that in itself has been an extraordinary challenge. Glad to say that 10 years in, we have survived. But one of the main things that I found is that to have a personal relationship and a business relationship, you have to have very clear boundaries. And you have to be able to acknowledge when you're doing one or when you're doing the other. And prioritise which one's more important to you and be able to say, like, at this time, who cares the most? If you care the most on that decision, you know, whatever it is, you need to have your clear decision-making thing so that you can survive. That's amazing think, that you Yeah, and I think as well, like, it was tricky transitioning from a friendship where there was a podcast to a friendship where you also have a business. Like, it was two very different phases. We did Shameless for so long without a single advertiser where we were funneling money into equipment and training ourselves and all that type of stuff without ever getting a cent back. So we did this for free slash at a loss for <laughs> oh 10 my God, months, such a 11 loss. months. <laughs> we broke even. An emotional loss as well as a financial one. But moving into a business model was really interesting because I think I'm so passionate about things where I could work in any form at any time. And at one point, Zara messaged me. She's like, we're getting slack and I don't want you to message me on text message or on Facebook about work stuff anymore. Put it in Slack. Oh, no, that was so not the wording. It was like to you and Annabelle. So the company's getting Slack, and we're going to move all of our work conversations to there, which is basically just means you. <laughs> but it's just means me. There's literally, like, just basically the two of us on Slack at any given time. So it's, like, the weirdest thing. We've got, like, a million different windows, and it's just me and Zara talking about different things in each one. But stuff like that's important. And I didn't realise it at the time. I was like, why are we paying for Slack? Just text me. But it's been paying so you don't talk to me out of hours. <laughs> it's important because it creates this separation. And I think getting the office space as well was huge. And I didn't realise it at the time. I'm a bit dumb about this stuff. I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, we could have an office. We could just work from our apartment. But it's been massive. I realised only recently that I was really sad every time I was in my apartment. And that was because I had no distinction between work and life. And I would feel just drained and exhausted by my own apartment. And since getting a space and since having these boundaries in place, being like, okay, this is Michelle and Zara venting about our personal lives, or this is Michelle and Zara talking about a work issue, that difference and that boundary has been really important. I think it, as you get bigger and busier and more stressed and time poor, it becomes even more important because you don't have time to wallow in like, oh, there's a little tiff. Like you've got deliverables, you've got shit to do and you've got live shows and things like you're fronting up to people all the time. And that's when it really, you get called on to figure out the stuff between you, which you guys have been extraordinary at doing and have ridden this incredible wave and survived as friends and as business partners to tell the tale. So some of those 2019 achievements of many... Uh, obviously moving into an office out of Zara's family home, which I have graced many times, and I did love that intimate experience. It was very homely and loving. <laughs> you hosted Mechaland, which was such a fun time, hosted four major live shows in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, were named Australia's most popular podcast after running from a Mechaland show at, like, 9 p.m., arriving at 9.30. Like, I can't, that night was just nuts, and it was such an honour to be there launched three additional podcasts and worked behind the scenes on a major project that will come out in September next year. Very exciting. So in light of that exponential growth, I think one of the things that happens is you get so caught up in how fast everything is going that you don't actually make any future plans and you don't think about, you know, is this 
is this momentum ever going to stop? And then suddenly things start to get a little bit harder and you have to start making, you know, we're upon a new year, a new decade. Do you guys ever worry that that momentum will stop and that you might have to suddenly start, you know, making new plans? I think you are self-aware enough to know that this is definitely not going to be forever. Like, I think you would be foolish and a little bit arrogant to assume so. Like, I think tides turn, trends change. Podcasts might not even be a thing. I think one thing that we have spoken about since we started the podcast is this concept of pivoting. Like, I think we've worked in in industries and in companies before where we just noticed they would never pivot. And I think we would change things that we do, like, once a week or once every month to be like, okay, if this is what the industry's doing so away. I think it's totally natural to be like, is this just a short-term thing? Is this just a a wave of momentum that we ride for six months and then it never happens again? Like, of course that you worry about that. But I think all we really want to do is make stuff. All we really want to do is write or produce podcasts and broadcast podcasts. If we're able to do that, then I think we'll be fine and I think we will always fall back on the fact that that's the thing we really love doing and that we've found a working relationship that works, that we're able to produce content together and I think we'll always be able to fall back on that whether this momentum is there or whether it's not. Yeah, and I think our least favourite question and it's one we get often is what's your five-year plan? Or like what's the... Accountants ask us this all the time which is really weird. Like what's the big plan for Shameless? And we always are like, we have no idea. Like, we don't have a five-year plan. We don't have a six-month plan. It's like when everyone's like, so what's shame? When we were created Shameless Media and everyone's like, what is it? And we're like, we're not being cagey. We don't actually know. And then people are like, how are you going to sell it? And I was like, sell it? <laughs> I don't want to sell it. I want to create it first. But, yeah, we get all these questions about big picture stuff. And to be honest, I hate that question. And I think in our industry in particular, it's a, it's a semi-foolish one to try and pin down and define. Because three years ago, podcasts for young women, I wasn't listening to them. I don't think many of my friends were. And I think if I had pinned myself down then to be like, I want to be a blogger, I want to be a writer on a digital women's publication, that would have been a really silly mistake because I don't want to become tunnel visioned and I don't want to have my sights set on one thing. All we know is that we love what we're doing now. We don't have any intention to change what we're doing or to stop shameless, but five years like we might all be wearing vr headsets in five years and i don't know maybe we'll release a game about that i don't know like we could be what? doing so september 2020 so we're video game. gamers now <laughs> we're not gonna do that but there's so many different things that could happen in five years and so many things that could change that that question for us doesn't make any sense another way that i think you guys have grown through challenge and through experience is in the area of influencer culture, which is my favourite topic. So one of the things that must have been a big challenge for you guys is going from people behind a microphone talking about people in the media to literally turning up on the Aria's red carpet in front of half of these people. And that in itself, the relationship management that is necessary to be able to preserve your reputation but stay true to the authenticity of your content, I can't even fathom what that must be like and also what it must be like to have to front up on the Aria's red carpet with pockets, without pockets. I mean, it's really a difficult time for everyone involved. No beach in sight for you to be a hero at. Instagram Uh, face. Like, tell us about moving into influencer culture yourself as you have grown, grown your audience. Well, on the Arias thing, I wish I'd said this in the podcast at the time when we were like, how's your week? And I was like, I'm at the Arias, whatever. I forgot to say that probably the most (laughs) awkward moment we have had since we began the podcast happened at the Arias red carpet. So we were just like walking along and sometimes you'll see someone that you've mentioned on the podcast 
we happened to see someone that we had not so positively spoken about on the podcast about a week prior. And we spotted them across the red carpet and I was like, oh shit, there's that person we didn't glowingly speak of. And I was like, there's no fucking way they know who we are. Who cares? They absolutely knew who we were and they absolutely had listened to the podcast. They kept coming up to us and like, how are you going, guys? No, it was more double parked, having another bottle of wine. And I was like, Michelle, what is going on? And they kept like just coming up and making awkward comments to us and like kind of greasing us off. And I was like, shit, they've definitely listened to the podcast and this is really, really uncomfortable. We've had a couple of moments like that where we have spoken honestly about someone and then we've met them in person and it is spine-tinglingly irritating and uncomfortable for everyone involved. And as much as I wish I could avoid those moments, I think they're really important. Like, I don't want to stop talking about stuff that annoys me in the influencer space. And I don't want to stop calling out people who I think are doing the wrong thing. So I'd prefer to have that discomfort than to go the other way and kind of sidle up to everyone and pretend we're all buddy-buddy when deep down I know that they're compromising my personal values. Yeah, and we also don't need to be friends with everybody. Like, I think we need to be fundamentally good people and nice to everybody when we're off the podcast. But I think when it comes to talking about things on the podcast, it's not personal. Like, if something comes up and someone does something that we don't agree with, I actually don't think it makes them a bad person by any stretch. Like, I would happily have a conversation with them if I met them. It is really not personal. And I think that comes down to how you frame the conversation. Like, are you making it about them or are you making making it about that decision that they made? I think I've said this time and time again. We could not let that change our content or else we wouldn't have a business. Like, it would be terrible, bad business for us to suddenly make friends with people and be like, okay, well, you're immune and you're immune and you're immune because everybody would just lose all respect for us. Yes, it will get really awkward one day when maybe someone we know does something that we actually really don't like and people will say, hey, can you talk about that? And we'll have to say, yeah, we probably should. But what we would probably do is just tell them, give them a heads up beforehand, being like, this is going to happen and we're really sorry, but this job is very important to us. Our relationships are important to us, but the respect of our community is paramount. And if we didn't do those things, if we started to change our content or our approach, it would be bad business. Is there a line? Um, one of the questions that was submitted that I think is really interesting, is there someone who you wouldn't discuss because... No. It would Sorry. Just... See, like, to be honest, yeah. if you genuinely did something that we hated, I might call you before the podcast airs and be like, Sarah Davidson, me, Holloway... <laughs> We're going to talk about you, and I'm really sorry about that. Like, this is what we said. I might call you about it, but we're still going to do it. And I think the way we always get away with it is you talk about the action or the incident, not the person themselves. Um, So we would just try to take that angle that we might love 99% of what you do, but this 1% kind of sucks. And it's usually indicative of a much broader problem. Like, there's no way we're picking out a decision that someone in the public eye makes if it is not indicative of a broader issue that we think is worth talking about. So I think it's much easier to, as they say, play the... Oh, no, what's the saying? Play the game, not the player. Play the man. I'm just going to leave you hanging. You know what it is. (laughs) You fucking know what it is. You all know what it is. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what it is. So I'm not going to fill in and is it close this gap for you. It's don't, don't hate, hate the player, player hate, hate the, the game. game. Yeah. Like, you mean yeah. don't play the woman, play the issue. But that was just something we created. We've spent way way too long on this. I think it was a good one. Though. Yeah, anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so I think one of the things that does make it easier to front up to those uncomfortable conversations is that you're so confident in the reasons why you have to stay totally authentic to your opinions. And that sometimes can seem like you are just so confident in what you're talking about and what you believe in that you could never 
ever conceivably experience self-doubt. But I know that isn't possible, and I know that that's not the case for anybody, but also you guys. So how do you combat that in an industry where you're putting yourself out there for so much backlash and so much feedback instantaneously if people don't like what you're saying? And something I, I talk very often about about you guys in particular is how much I love that you will take a stand on something you know is going to be controversial. I, like, actively shy away from those topics because I'm not very good at... Like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with my ability to cope that, that the backlash comes so, so quickly. But, how, yeah, how do you guys navigate the self-doubt, the judgment, the haters and all that, all that stuff? I don't know if we do it all that well still. I think it's been a year and a half and I think that there are some weeks you will get on the podcast and not really think twice about it. There'll be other times, maybe, to be honest, like tonight when you're feeling a little more vulnerable where you do second-guess the things you're saying because as you're saying them, you're wondering, how is that going to land? Like, how is people... How is someone going to interpret that if you have had an influx of feedback that you don't love? And I think the last couple of weeks, we have had that. We have had an influx of feedback that we haven't loved. And one of the things that has been interesting, particularly over the last year, is working out, okay, feedback's inevitable. We also encourage it. Like, our community would be nothing without feedback. So we need to work out amongst ourselves what feedback is helpful and what feedback is harmful. What bad, what stuff is really just bad for our mental health or what stuff is going to make us better at our jobs. I don't know if we're perfect at it yet. I think we're better at it. I think my answer to your question doesn't make any sense because my answer is essentially I don't know. Like, we question ourselves all the time. I think it would be foolish of us to try and convince you otherwise. We do second-guess ourselves all the time. I'm probably second-guessing myself more at this point in the year than I have in a few months. Yeah, and I think the reason Zara and I put our opinions out into the world is by design of being quite opinionated. I think I've been that way my entire life and I put that down to something as simple as my parents really fostered this dynamic, a family dynamic as a child where we would discuss things around the family table and I saw my parents disagree about everything from religion to politics, whatever. Like, it was very much encouraged that you can disagree with one another and still have an intelligent, robust debate about it. As far as recently goes, and I know Zara just touched on the fact we might be feeling more vulnerable today, is that it has been hard and only recently one of us, i.e. me, stumbled upon... Uh, hundreds of people tearing down or criticising Shameless. And I don't want to say tearing down even. I'm in two minds about it because sometimes I want to say, okay, they're, they're giving us feedback or it's just nastiness. It's really hard to... It's probably just a combination of both. Yeah. Like some of that stuff probably is helpful. Yeah, and it's hard to see that. Like I stumbled upon this. I'll give you the full story. I stumbled upon it <laughs> last night. It was 11 o'clock at night and I was scrolling through social media and I found 300 people talking about why Shameless is overrated and why they don't understand why Zara and I are liked. They don't understand why the podcast is successful, why people are in the Facebook group. There were a whole lot of reasons. And some of them were really, really helpful. Some of them were really intelligent and insightful and carefully worded. The interesting part about this is that it kind of felt like stumbling upon a group chat that I was never supposed to see, but with hundreds of people in it. And I ended up staying up till about 2am at night last night with Mitch talking through this because when you see something like that at 11pm, you're not just going to go straight back to sleep. And it's really interesting because I don't feel any different to episode one of Shameless. Like, I feel like the exact same person. I live in the same house or tiny one-bedroom apartment with no balcony. I drive the same shitty, decrepit, 
awful car, Holden Barina, everybody. <laughs> and I am the same, like I have the same group of friends. I feel like the exact same. The only difference is I feel like there is a huge community which often I don't see. It's like a number on a page that means nothing to me. But a It means l- a little something to you. No, no, no. It means a lot to me, but that number when you see it, you don't see 70,000 faces, 100,000 faces. You see 100,000. You're like, okay, cool. I can't really contextualise that. But to then have this feedback constantly coming and feedback that's happening about you that is increasingly nasty is really hard. And I'd be lying if I came here and said I'm always confident about things we say on the podcast. It's difficult, but it's also an element of the job. And that's kind of like what helped me get to sleep at 2am. Yeah, there's no doubt that that's what you sign up for. And I think that's what everybody will tell you. This is going to happen and it's going to happen. But it doesn't feel like you're protected when it does. It doesn't feel like you're ready for it. I said to my mom today, well, I know I've been bracing for this for a long time. But I don't know what to do when it happens. Like, I don't know how to process this. I don't think it's particularly normal to know how to process that. Nobody gives you tools. And I think I never really believed people when they said... I don't care what people think about me because I always used to think, well, how do you not care? Because isn't what people think about you tied to how you make them feel? And if you don't make them feel good, isn't that an indictment on you? And if that's my fundamental belief and then I have people that really don't like me, it's a really hard thing to get my head around. And I think the way that I've tried to go through the motions today is to think, well... I can only, and Michelle and I can really only control how people feel in our presence. If we meet them, if they feel good, then that means that maybe we're doing a good thing and we're not bad people and we're just trying to do some good. I can't really control how people interpret our words or consider our work. Like, I cannot control that. And I think I'm I'm seeing more why people in this job kind of say, well, I can't care what people think because I think it would drive you mad and I think you wouldn't sleep at night. And I know that sounds dramatic, but if you're a personality type who has always cared about what people think and then suddenly there is a group of people on the internet that you can't control, then you have to let go of that. And it's a process. It's not going to be overnight, but it's certainly a process. I think as well, something that we've had to grapple with, and this morning we had plenty of conversations about this back and forth, is that there are so many women in the public eye that I love that never say a thing that's political. And they're very intentional in doing that because as soon as you say something political, the bar feels so much higher. And women who are older than me had been telling me this all year. We've had the privilege of meeting some really incredible, successful women in the public eye and they've often said that it's easier to not say political things, it's easier because the bar's not set high for you. Watch out was basically the message from a lot of women to Zara and I. And this morning that made sense for the first time and that's upsetting to me because I love saying political things and I don't want that to ever change about Shameless and I don't think it will but I can so entirely see why it's the easier option and why it's so tempting sometimes to lean into that and be like, you know what, we'll just talk about sugary shit all the time. We'll just talk about our favourite celebrities and our favourite Daily Mail article and we won't talk about difficult topics and we won't really dive into things that matter to us. But that's intrinsic to what Shameless is and I think it's a process of Zara and I preparing ourselves that the bigger we get, the more the bar is going to be raised and the more impossible those stances are going to be be met we're just not going to meet them all the time and we need to be at peace with that I think that is something that I admire so much about you guys because I personally do actively decide not to cover topics that are going to be politically divisive because that's it's not what I'm prepared for and it's not I'm just not prepared I'm not passionate enough about those topics and I can cover other semi-controversial topics that are deep and meaningful without going there. And that's why I admire what you guys do so much because you will take a stand and face the backlash in order that these topics can get 
discussed out there and that's something that is so admirable and obviously challenging but it's, it's to the benefit of so many other people who then get to feel like they're being spoken to in an intelligent way about things that they really enjoy. So to finish up, one of the questions that I would like to ask in that context of how much I admire you guys is what do you most admire about each other? Hey, we have been asked a lot recently, like how would you describe each other or what do you admire most about each other? And to be honest, our answers will be quite similar. Like, if this will be no shock. Michelle will not be shocked by the things that I say because she's heard it before. Like, she is incredibly creative. She has more ideas than anyone that I've ever met. Like, they, they come at me all the time, maybe at 11 p.m. when I'm trying to sleep. But they just keep coming, and it makes my job so much easier that I'm with someone that is always thinking and thinking so creatively. She is also one of... Like, you are also one of the most fiercely loyal people that I've ever met. Like, you just wouldn't want to cross someone that Michelle is close to. Um, and I think the best part, even particularly recently, is it's so easy for me to say to her, I can't work today. Like, I can't do it. Or you'll do it for me. You'll be like, just just shut off. Like, if something's hard, it's so easy for her to just be like, I'll deal with everything, you go. And I think that's a really nice relationship to have, to have someone that's so compassionate and so loyal, not just as a friend, but in business, because it makes my life that much easier. Uh, I genuinely think Zara is one of the best people I've met. Like, just genuinely wants to do good in the world. And I'm not sure you could say that about a lot of people, but Zara, I think, has such a pure heart and genuinely is so compassionate about causes that mean a lot to her. And that's such a, such a beautiful energy to be around all the time. I also think she's deeply caring, really, really cares about the people around her, and she's a fantastic listener. I often will be in a conversation between Zara, another person, myself, and Zara will pick up like 10 facts about that person and remember their name and their dog's name and where they're going on holiday that next summer or whatever. And I'll walk away and be like, who was that? Like, who was that person? And she is just such an incredible listener and I think that says a lot about a person. I, I want to get better at that and I want to take a lot of what Zara has shown me over the last couple of years in particular because I think there's such beautiful qualities that show you genuinely give people your time. And I think often in this world where we're all on our phones and our attention is so divided among so many different things, that ability to give someone 100% of you for that moment you spend with them is a very rare and very enviable quality as is the ability to command that level of attention from the listeners particularly for an hour twice a week so you guys have done an extraordinary job and are just such admirable strong intelligent inspiring leaders for all the young women out there so before we move to some questions can we all just give the ladies a gigantic round of applause for everything that they do So even though these were all submitted from uh, the Shameless community, does anyone have a question to ask in real life? We'll give the first one a prize. You can DM us your Michelle address. Michelle says this to every live crowd so that someone actually asks a fucking question. <laughs> and yes, then we great. To... You'll get a prize. Can you DM us your postal address? She actually will send you one. I promise you that. Um, I was wondering across all three podcasts, if I may, your favourite like segment or episode or something that's really stuck with you. I want to say uh, the Bumble episode where Zara spoke about her condition and... <laughs> Such a delicate way to put it when we've gone way deeper than that in the episode. <laughs> I don't know. It's your condition. I don't know how to word it, but endometriosis-related issues. I think <laughs> I've been friends with Zara for almost five years and 
we have had plenty of really personal conversations about stuff that really matters to us and I still didn't know what was going on. Like in that episode, Zara was talking about how she had never spoken to her friends about it. And I was thinking, they'd be like, yeah, this is the first time I've heard any of this stuff. I'd always known something had been going on and we didn't really have the language to discuss it with each other until a microphone was in front of our faces. But we were both sobbing. Like we were in her parents' office and there were just tears running down our faces because I think... It's such an important and difficult subject to talk about and something that I'm really proud about with Shameless Media over the course of this year is that we have lent in to those difficult conversations and I think when you do so, you make a whole bunch of women feel a lot less alone and I think Zara was incredibly brave. Like, I remember the day she called me and said, we're going to do this and we're going to do it on a podcast episode, I was actually blown away. I was blown away from that moment to the moment we actually sent the the episode live like I'm still I'm still so blown away that she did that I think it's really powerful and it's something that hardly anyone has done so for her to do that in front of tens of thousands of people I think was commendable yeah just had to ignore those stats for a while so I didn't imagine the people (laughs) listening that is very nice thank you I, I, I don't know if you remember this segment, but we did one on the Gillette ad when A.M. Aswari had died um, that week. And so A.M. Aswari was a young um, student who was over here and she was murdered walking off a tram stop. And that had happened in the same week that a Gillette ad had gone live. And everybody was arguing about toxic masculinity and feminism. And I remember we were... That was the angriest I think we have ever been. And you... We stopped the recording because you were crying. Do you remember that? (laughs) Because you were so worked up about it. And I just remember thinking, like, at the very least, at least we can have conversations that we care about and that we're passionate about. And I remember caring so deeply about that. Like, I think I was crying too. Mm. Um, And I don't know why we were so affected. I think it was just so indicative of the climate and the time and how a lot of young women were feeling. And I thought it's, it's kind of a privilege that... We feel very similarly to a lot of our friends, but we do just have this microphone and we're able to broadcast them. Hello, guys. Hi. You can hold it yourself. DM us your address, please. (laughs) There's going to be like 150 people being like, that question was me. Um, Sarah asked this question, but it's sort of, I think, um, got skimmed over a bit. So I'm just curious how the boyfriends fit in to your relationship. With each other and what that looks like. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Our most requested in-conversation guests are Mitch and Ollie. <laughs> uh, how they fit into our lives. Is that what you were asking? Uh, well, I live with my boyfriend, so he fits into my life quite seamlessly. But to be honest, it's been really great having such supportive partners. I think to be in this industry and have a job like we do where a lot of travel was involved, particularly in the month of November, where we, I think we took like two flights a week every week. So they're supportive and they're really great boyfriends we're very very lucky I don't know how either of us found them but they (laughs) have slotted in really nice and they get along with each other and it's been great I think they're very understanding that we're very passionate about our careers and they're passionate about theirs so it just kind of works yeah it's a pretty self-indulgent job this one and I have this issue where if I'm focused on something I can't hear anything in my periphery so if we're talking about something or if I suddenly get stressed about something I just shut down and only might be talking at me but I'm just completely ignoring it and I think it does take an incredible amount of patience to be able to just not care about that and be like well her focus is there and it could be for the next half an hour it could be for the next five hours Um, But I don't think that we could do this job with someone that didn't let us work because we work all the time at random times. Even if we're just texting each other, I would say that's working. So it's very helpful. So my question is, who do you idolise in the industry and how do you make sure that uh, both Zara and Michelle, you're constantly authentic? 
and evolving? This is such a hard one. Who do I admire in the industry? I admire a lot of people. Uh, Flex Mommy, I mentioned before. I really do admire her. I think she says a lot about taboo topics and I admire that because I'm not one to do that. And she is very sex positive and female positive and I think that's powerful and the type of content she puts out on Instagram, I couldn't personally put that out. I know you were talking before, Sarah, about stuff like the difference (laughs) between what you're comfortable with and what you're not and Flex seems to just be so candid and so open and honest and I think she brings such a refreshing vibe to everything that she does that I genuinely look at her I'm like, how do you do that? And how do you we asked her that once, like, what, like, how do you talk about sex if your parents see it? (laughs) And she's like, I don't care if my parents see it. I'm like, that's where you and I are different. <laughs> um, who would I say? There's probably quite a few. Um, I really respect Jamila Brisby, who also was at Mamma Mia. We barely crossed over with her, but she... I recommended her episode with Philosophy in our newsletter the other week. I would so recommend you listen to that if you do. Um, Anna crossed Jamila's experience, but she is incredible and I think also incredible to us behind the scenes. Um, I think having people in the industry who you can call or just text if you're stressed about something or overwhelmed is really underrated um Carly Finlay is very similar we've had her on the podcast too and she speaks about things with such eloquence that she shouldn't have to speak eloquently about that it's amazing um the basic bitch answer is clearly Zoe Foster Blake who also um but Zoe Foster Blake I think also does very quiet incredible things for women behind the scenes that she doesn't shout about ever And I kind of wish she did so that people could see it. But she does some incredible, incredible things behind the scenes for for young women in the industry. And I think that is a very admirable thing to want to do these things, but for no other reason than to just lift people up. Um, I was just wondering for both of you, particularly Zara, because you've said in the past that you're quite a private person. Um, You both, I imagine, started off in a role where you never thought that your personal profiles would become public. Like, specifically, Instagram is really easy to reference, but transitioning from journalists to like influencers for lack of a better word how has that been for you like individually not just the shameless account yeah no it's a great question um because it's been weird the way that I've come to to peace with it and to terms with it is to be like it's actually kind of selfish of me to not give parts of myself to the podcast if I expect thousands of women to come and listen to the things that we have to say every Monday morning I cannot possibly expect them to be return um listeners if they don't understand who I am and where I'm coming from if they don't understand my context or what I find funny or what I find weird um or what is part of my life. Like, I can't expect people to listen and trust what I have to say if they don't know where it's coming from. So, yes, it's had to be kind of like a clinical way of getting my head around it, and it hasn't even been a clinical way of sharing. I think it's just been a slow process of of learning how to talk about myself without worrying that it's so infused with ego all the time. Yeah, I think it's also important to us. It's a small decision, but it's one that I don't think will ever change is that we don't do sponsored content on our Instagrams either. So as much as our profiles have grown on our private Instagram or personal Instagram accounts, we choose not to lean into that influencer space because when we align with a brand with Shameless, we genuinely love that brand and we see it very much as like media advertising. They get a spot on the newsletter and an ad spot in the podcast and maybe a photo on Instagram as well. But with our personal accounts, we are writers and we are journalists and we don't want to muddy that line too much. So we do tend to not do sponsored content on our personal accounts. Should we do one more? Is that fine? I have a question for Michelle. Ooh. I'd just really like to know, how is dating like an avocado? <laughs> <laughs> Zara, 
Valid. So, I mean, I'm a bit murky on the details because I would have written it when I was maybe 20. My dad would have read it. I'm not sure if you can help me. I basically listed every kind of man that you would date in your 20s according to a different variety of avocado. <laughs> I think I said guacamoles were fuckboys. Don't ask me why. But I kind of said... Loose science to the article. The whole crux of it was that you'll, like, cut into this new shiny avocado and it's great for about 2.5 seconds and then you start dating and you realise they're actually an asshole, and then it's, like, grey and gross. You've got to cut all the shit bits and then you're like, oh, I don't want to be in this avocado anymore. <laughs> anyway, I might try to find that article again because I even made little, like memes for it and images which is the lamest thing ever. Do you ever. think it would be somewhere on your computer? Please can we find it and post it in the Facebook group? I think if we went to like my laptop, two laptops ago. We'll find it. We will find this and I'll put it in the Facebook group. Maybe we'll do like a charity rant. We'll do a charity reveal. If we get a certain number of money donated to a charity, we'll do two things. Release a photo of Zara's feet. <laughs> oh We're going to instinctively <laughs> try to hide them. Number two, release my avocado article. But it probably is some of my finest work today. I imagine it is. Um, I think that is all we have time for. Thank you so, so much for you all to come out on your Tuesday. I know we said it at the start, but it genuinely does mean a lot that you would bother giving us your time. A huge thank you to, to Daily Naturals with that gift bag that you're walking away with and to Mercedes Me. And the biggest thank you to Sarah Davidson for emceeing tonight. You will, of course, find her on the Seize the A podcast, a wonderful podcast. Her episode that was recorded here last week with Olivia Rogers is now live today, so go and check it out. We were sitting right in those seats right there, and it was a wonderful chat, so thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for such a great 2019. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for our final In Conversation episode of 2019. You can find Sarah's killer podcast, Seize the Yay, via a link in our show notes or find her on Instagram at spoonful underscore of underscore Sarah. As for us, we're at Shameless Podcast on Instagram. We are madly prepping some amazing chats for next year, so keep your ears peeled. Our In Conversations will be back for 2020 on January 16. We will see you guys on Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.